the return of Christ, resurrection of the dead, rapture of Christians, and the reunion of Christians with God in heaven. Uh, Next week, we're going to do an overview of the book of Revelation. We're going to do some snapshots of key biblical passages out of Revelation uh, to give you a biblical understanding of the end times. Tonight, I want to talk to you about your end times. Uh, Because if Jesus Christ doesn't return in your lifetime, uh, the end of your life on earth will still come someday. And you will have to face one of two judgments. Uh, The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So I want to talk about these two judgments today, and and I also want to uh, look at the question of what will heaven be like. So we're going to start our study in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, We're going to look at Jesus' words in Revelation 22, uh, verses 12 through 13. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. Uh, I will give to everyone according to what he's done. Now, if you're new to Christianity, I want to be very, very, very clear here. Uh, We do not get into heaven based on how good we are. Uh, The truth is, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, uh, and the only way that we can enter into heaven is through our faith in Christ's death on the cross. Uh, But for those of you who are Christians, it's important to know that your works, even though they don't qualify you to get into heaven, the way you live on earth will determine how you will be rewarded in heaven. Let me say that again. For those of you who are Christians, the way you live on earth will determine how you will be rewarded in heaven. Now, how and when... Uh, and where will our rewards be determined? Well, that happens at an event called the Judgment Seat of Christ. The Judgment Seat of Christ. Well, when does it take place? Well, a lot of Bible scholars think that it will take place right after the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the rapture uh, of the believers that we talked about last week. And the reason they believe this is because of a little verse in a story that Jesus told in Luke 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says if you throw a dinner party, don't just invite your friends and your family and rich people who, because they can pay you back with an invite to their party. Uh, he says instead, you want to invite people who cannot repay you. And then you'll be repaid. You will be rewarded when? At the resurrection of the righteous. Those are the events that we talked about last week. So at Christ's return, those who are dead in Christ are raised from the dead. Those who are alive in Christ are raptured. And those believers will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In the judgment seat of Christ, it says we all must appear. He's writing to believers. He says all believers must appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Because at this judgment, you're not judged uh, on the basis of salvation or damnation. Uh, you know, if you're at this judgment, your salvation has already been determined uh, by your faith in Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for rewarding you according to all the good works that you've done on earth. Now, one of the reasons why people believe this is uh, because the judgment seat, the word for the judgment seat is very specific. And it's the word bema, B-E-M-A in the Greek, the bema seat. And the bema seat was a very specific uh, type of uh, judgment seat. Uh, it was the, it's not a seat where the judge sits to determine guilt or innocence. Uh, the bema was the throne where a judge would sit to issue awards after the Greek athletic games. Okay, it's an Olympic term. It's not a judicial term. And after athletes would perform, after runners would run a race, the judge would sit on the bema seat and he'd say, congratulations, here's the award for first place, here's the award for second place, here's the award for com completing, here's the award for the fastest in the over 60 category, or whatever category you're in. So the bema seat was an award ceremony where people were rewarded for how they ran the race. You know, the judgment seat is not like you are going to court for a verdict of guilty or innocent. That verdict has already been decided at the resurrection and the rapture. Because only true believers, only Christians, have those things happen to them. So this is a judgment of how you have lived your life. Uh, Paul says to run the race to receive the prize. And this judgment is actually a very joyous occasion. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the end of the games celebration. It's the end of the games ceremony. It's a very joyous time for those who've done well and finished. It's a joyous time for our Heavenly Father as through Christ He rewards those who have persevered and have lived a life of faithfulness on earth. So now the question is, how will you be rewarded? Well, at the Bema seat, the winners were rewarded with crowns of olive leaves. Uh, the judge would place these crowns on their heads. And that would symbolize that, that they had done well in the games. Now the Bible talks about at least five, there's actually more, but tonight we're just going to quickly look at five crowns that believers will receive at the judgment seat. Uh, first crown is the incorruptible crown. And that's for those who run a faithful race. You know, it's for believers who are devoted to righteous living. And if you live rightly, you will receive a reward for living rightly. Uh, there's the crown of rejoicing for those who share their faith. You know, if you're inviting your friends to church, if you're inviting uh, friends and neighbors to small group, if you're sharing about Christ, if you're being salt and light at work, uh, there is a crown waiting for you at the judgment seat of Christ for those who share their faith. Uh, the crown of righteousness is for those who long for Christ returning. Remember last week we talked about Maranatha and, and just the anticipation of Christ returning? For those people who live their lives in a sense of expectation of Christ's return, the Bible says that there is a crown uh, of righteousness waiting for those people at the judgment seat. Uh, there's a crown of glory, and that one is for faithful pastors. And I tell you, that's one of the things that keeps me from quitting. 
you know. I mean, sometimes it gets hard. You think, well, and I'm thinking, you know what? There's a crown waiting for me, and it's worth. I'm going to run to pursue uh, to receive the prize. And then there's the crown of life, and that's for those who suffer for Christ, those who are martyred or killed for Christ, those who endure great hardship for the cause of Christ will receive a special reward, a special crown at the judgment seat of Christ. For Christians, how you live your life here and now on earth determines how you will be rewarded in heaven. Your life here matters. Now, I'm going to give you a, a kind of a suggested timeline of, of the events that are unfolding here. And uh, uh, we saw last week that, that Christ will return, the dead in Christ will rise, the Christians will be raptured, and uh, I, I, for one, believe in the uh, pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, if it happens later, you know, it's up to God. It's not up to me. But... Uh, at that time, there will also be a seven-year period of tribulation. The tribulation mainly is for the nation of Israel. That's why I think the church is taken out of here, because the tribulation deals with uh, God's relationship with the nation of Israel. Uh, there's a one-world government that forms at that time. The Antichrist rises that everybody's always talking about. You know, who's the Antichrist? And, uh, and uh, the, all the nations, at the end of the tribulation, there's the battle of Armageddon. As all the other nations in the world turn their hatred and animosity toward the nation of Israel. And actually they turn it toward God. And as that mighty battle happens there uh, at the uh, valley of Megiddo uh, in the land of Israel, uh, all of a sudden it turns from an earthly battle to a spiritual battle Christ returns with the armies of heaven to come to Israel's defense. Satan is defeated. He's captured. He's thrown into the bottomless pit uh, for a thousand years. Uh, during that time, Christ rules and reigns. You know, the Antichrist ruled for seven years. Christ rules and reigns on a throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And that's known as the millennial reign. So the first time Jesus comes back, he comes back to get his church. The second time that he comes back, he comes back to rule and reign on a throne for a thousand years. Now last week we looked at two resurrections. We said that the first is the resurrection of those who uh, have placed their trust in Christ. That's the resurrection of the righteous. And those people are judged at the judgment seat. And then there's a second resurrection for non-Christians, and that's known as the resurrection of the dead. And unbelievers will be judged, and they'll be judged at the great white throne judgment uh, before God establishes the new heaven and the new earth. As all of this passes away, there's a final judgment that takes place, and um, unbelievers are dealt with. Now, people ask all the time, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? I mean, are we just going to sit around and watch fat, naked baby angels play harps all day? I mean, honestly, uh, do these two guys look real thrilled to be there? No, they don't. So what is heaven going to be like? Uh, well, John had a vision in Revelation 21, and he gives us three specific descriptions of what heaven will be like. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What happens? At, at the end of, uh, of all of this, God destroys this heaven and this earth and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. 
Now notice that our final destination is not heaven. Our final destination is a new earth. That's why whatever you enjoy on earth, you will enjoy it in the new earth and the new heaven. You know, the only difference is there, there won't be any sin. Uh, the new earth will, will be just like the Garden of Eden. It will be perfect. It'll be just like when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. There was uninterrupted fellowship with God in paradise before we ruined everything by falling for the devil's temptation. So whatever you love about earth, you know, the new earth will be very similar. I would encourage you to take your Bibles and sit down and read the, the first two, three chapters of Genesis and then read the last two chapters of Revelation. And you will be amazed at how much the new earth resembles this earth when it was first created. There's a tree of life. Uh, there's rivers. I mean, it's just amazing. We go back to what God wanted us to have the first time. But this new heaven, this new earth, they will be very similar to what we have now, but indescribably better. I mean, think about your favorite place here. Think about your favorite moment. Okay? This is a picture from our vacation last August. I'm sorry. The new earth is going to be indescribably better. I mean, you know, that was a nice moment. But uh, the scripture says, No eye has seen nor ear has heard what our God has prepared for those who love him. God will establish a new heaven, a new earth beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, can you imagine that with no sin? Uh, it, it's just going to be amazing. Second thing we see here in this Revelation passage is that you will never suffer again. Uh, Revelation 21, 4 through 5, it says, He, meaning God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God will wipe every tear away from your eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. Oh, death, where is your sting? You know, you know for those of you who hurt right now, I mean, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more pain and no more suffering. I mean, if your body is racked by pain or the body of a loved one is racked by pain, if you watch someone you love suffer physically, never again. Never again. You know, I can't wait for a life with no pain. I, I can't wait. I know I look like I'm just in peak physical condition, but I got to tell you, I, I got a bad toe, a bad knee, a bad hip, a bad back, a bad stomach, a bad throat, a bad shoulder, a bad elbow, and a bad eye. Okay? You know, recently I got tired of being out of shape and tired of feeling so crummy that I thought, you know, I'm just going to go to the gym and I'm going to work what doesn't hurt. And so I got dressed and I went to the gym and I worked my right arm. Seriously, I worked my right arm and left. And the next day my right arm hurt from working out. Okay. In heaven, all that's done away with. You know, the blind will see, the, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk again. I mean, you will never, 
ever suffer again. Third thing, you will live with God forever. Uh, that's the way it's described in Revelation 21.3. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. Now this is the 20th time that that phrase is given in Revelation. I mean, and there are 19 other times where a loud voice is heard from the throne. I mean, God is the one who's given us this information. And this is the final declaration from the throne. This is the end of the story. It says, now, God says, the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. You know, it's as if God himself is just saying, finally, it's done, it's restored, it's back to the way I created it, it's back to the way I wanted it to be. My children are with me, and I am with them, and it's happy ever after. You know, our finite minds cannot comprehend the glory of that promise. We can't even handle God in his purest form. Scripture says that we can't even look upon him in his purest form and live. You know, our mortal bodies cannot handle the pure essence of God. But on that day, when we're raised to new life, after we've been judged in the new heaven and the new earth, our immortal bodies can walk in fellowship with God. Just like in the Garden of Eden. Before the fall. And God says, that's the way I want it to be. Because God loves us so much that he created us to be with him forever. You know, you parents know what that's like. You, you know what it's like when all the family gets together. I mean, it's just like everything is right with the world. You know, when, when everybody's there and everybody's in their place, they, they, there's just a contentment. There is a peace that settles in. Now, there were five kids in my family growing up, and my older brother, Dennis, uh, Dennis is 10 years older than me, and Dennis served in Vietnam. And as a family, uh, we fretted and uh, stewed and prayed for him while he was gone. And, and I remember clearly uh, when Dennis came home uh, from the war that the whole family got together, and we had a big family dinner and party. And at one point, everybody's crammed into the house, all the cousins, my grandparents, everybody's there. We're laughing and talking and eating and playing games and having a good time. And I look over, and my mom is sitting in a chair, much like this chair. I look over, and mom is sound asleep. Now, my mom never took naps, never. But right in the middle of, of all this activity, all this noise and commotion of this coming home party, mom had fallen asleep. It was the first sound sleep she had had in two years. Why? Because my brother was home. Because everybody was there. The family was complete and peace settled in. You know, it, it, it's that sense what God is saying. He's saying, my children are all with me. There's no more pain. They will dwell at home with me forever because this is the way I planned it. This is the way I want it. And that will bring peace. But it starts out with you standing before Christ at the Bema Seat. You stand before the one who is crowned with thorns so that he can give you a crown of righteousness and welcome you into the heaven that he has prepared for you. Now here's the problem. 
The problem is, is that most people today believe that heaven is the default destination. Most people today believe that when someone dies, they automatically go to heaven unless they've done something really, really bad while they're here on earth. You know, here's how the thinking usually goes. You know, Uncle Joe died. Uh, Uncle Joe wasn't much of a churchgoer. He wasn't much of a religious person. He never gave any indication of believing in Jesus, never gave any indication of living for Jesus, but he was just a pretty good old boy, except for that one time that nobody ever talks about. Uncle Joe tried hard. He did some good things for some people. He's been pretty sick these last few years. He's had a hard time. So we're thankful now that Uncle Joe is dead because he's in a better place now. He's in a better place now. We tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better. Anytime someone we we love departs from this earth, we're so thankful that they're in a better place now. Because so many people believe that heaven is the default destination. But the Bible clearly teaches that heaven is not the default destination. Hell is the default destination. We're we're all not headed to heaven. We are all headed to hell when we die. Unless Christ intervenes on our behalf. Unless we place our faith and trust in Christ and are saved from that destruction. You know, most people think, I'm a pretty good person. I've done the best I can. I'm I'm going to heaven, right? It's not what Jesus said. Didn't say it. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads where? To destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The default destination is not heaven. The default destination is hell. It's destruction. The tragedy is, is that so many people believe that heaven is the default destination when the reality is, is that there are lots and lots of people traveling on the broad path that leads to the true default destination, hell. You know, we talked about the first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians will be rewarded for their works on earth. You know, how we live on earth determines not only our destination, but it also uh, determines our position, our rewards there. Now there's a second judgment. Uh, If you're taking notes, this one is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. And Christians will not be judged there. This is a judgment for non-Christians, for non-believers, for those who've never placed their faith and trust in Christ, because how you live as a believer matters and how you live as an unbeliever matters. This is how John describes the great white throne judgment. He says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. You know, those are the books, the the record, the account of everyone's life. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
You know, if anyone's sins were not covered by their faith in Christ, if anyone had not responded to the grace of Christ, if anyone was judged by their works alone, rather than being judged according to the perfect work of Christ on the cross, if their name is not written in the book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire. That is the default destination. Now, let me pause here for just a moment and tell you that I know what some of you are thinking. And, uh, you know, if you're not a church person, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of a skeptic, you're probably thinking the same thing that I would be thinking. You're thinking, that's not fair. I don't like that part of the story. That's not fair. God sending people to hell is not fair. But you want to talk about what's not fair? Let's talk about what's not fair. Uh, have you ever known someone who hurt someone else severely? and they weren't held accountable for their action? You, know, you ever known someone who hurt someone and they weren't held accountable for their action? You know, what happens when you see that take place? You look at that and you say, that's not fair. They should have to pay for that. You know, when someone does some horrible injustice to someone else and they get away with it, there are no consequences, what happens? You say, that's not fair. They need to pay for that. Someone has to pay for that. That's exactly what happens at the great white throne judgment. God takes all of those sins from all of history and says there's going to be a payment for this. For the sins that were not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a payment for this. Because, you know, if you don't have Christ's righteousness, then you are guilty. And here's the punishment for your sin. Not only is that fair, that's what we call justice. I mean, you want to play the not fair game? You want to know what's not fair? What's not fair is when those of us who are Christians stand before the one who is crowned with a crown of thorns and he gives you a crown and lets you go into heaven. That's not fair. Because you deserve the lake of fire. I deserve the lake of fire. But the only reason we don't wind up in the lake of fire is because Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sin and we placed our faith and trust in him. He was innocent. We were guilty. He paid for our sins. It's not fair that I'm rewarded. It's not fair that I get to go to heaven. It's not fair that his grace covered my sin. It's not fair that, that his blood covers my transgressions. It's not fair that he suffered on my behalf. I'm the guilty one. That's not fair. That's why it's called the gospel. Because it's good news. You know, that's why when Christ puts that crown on my head, I will thank God that he is not fair. Because I don't want fair. I want grace. I want mercy. And that's why I want to live a life worthy of his rewards. Now as we go to prayer, I, I want to ask you a simple question. And it's simple, but it has serious implications. And here's the question. Do you truly want to live a life here on earth worthy of his rewards in heaven? Do you want to live a life here on earth worthy of his rewards in heaven? Now again, we've got to be careful here. I'm not saying that you're trying to win his favor or win his approval or work your way into heaven. 
You've already been accepted into heaven if you've placed your faith and trust into Jesus Christ. But in response to everything that Jesus has done for us, do you want to live a life not for your own pleasure, but a life for his glory, a life that is pleasing to him and ultimately beneficial for you? You know, as a believer, you'd say, yes, I, I, I want to live in his name. I want to give in his name. I want to serve in his name. I want to witness in his name. I want to make a difference in his name. I want my life here on earth to bring glory to him in eternity. I want my life to be worthy of rewards in heaven. Let's pray together. God, I, I just thank you for those here tonight who desire to do all they can to please you. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know the, the needs in front of us and that with the, the purest motives that we would uh, visit the sick and, and care for those in need and clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And that one day in heaven you'd say to us, you fed me, you visited me, you clothed me, and we'd wonder, when did we do that? And you'd say, when you did it to the least of these... You did it to me. God, help us to live a life on earth worthy of your rewards in heaven. And for some of you right now, in, internally, there may be some spiritual discomfort. You, you're hearing this message and, and you're just a bit unsettled. You're thinking, you know, if I stood before God today, which judgment would I face? The good news is, is that, that, that God... When God punishes sin, that's fair. But God does not always treat us as our sin deserves. God offers us grace and mercy and forgiveness. And if we call on Jesus Christ who is without sin, he will forgive us and give us his righteousness. You know, when you turn from your sins and you turn toward Christ... No matter what you've done, he's forgiven it. He gives you a brand new life. He gives you an eternal life that can be lived out together with him forever in heaven. Would you open your heart to him? Those of you who are believers, maybe there's some besetting sin, maybe there's some issue, some struggle, and, and you just need to gain the victory. Tonight, would you just make the decision, I, I want to live my life in such a way that I win the prize. I finish the race. I stand before Christ and I receive the crown, the rewards that he wants to give me. God, help us to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name.